pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are back on the topic of parenting, and we're going to deal today with uh, boundaries and some more on the issue of obedience. But before we do it, we have some more questions that were given to us that we want to try to answer. Uh, we have several. We can't get to them all. Uh, we're, we're, we will eventually, but uh, be patient. But we have several that we think we can handle fairly quickly. Uh, The first one uh, is how, if at all, should parenting change with a newly faith-professing child? Meaning, I now have a child who's now professing Christ. Um, And he he wants to leave this open-ended so, as he says, we can wax eloquently. So that means he wants you to talk and not me. I mean, it's pretty clear I'm not the eloquent one here. Yeah, but I don't know how to wax. So. <laughs> wax on, wax <laughs> off. <laughs> Anyhow, um, you want to first try, or you want me to jump in on that one? I, I mean, you've you've ha- you've had okay. that, so nothing changes. I, I was going to say, be- <laughs> it's really yeah, it's really simple. Uh, nothing changes in your home. Your home should be overtly a Christian home. Uh, if you are, a, especially if you both husband and wife are Christians, then everything you do should reflect Christ and a biblical a model or, and principles and convictions. So, um, you have a the whole point of parenting is to raise up godly children. We said that I think our very first uh, episode is that's what you're shooting for. Is at the end of this when you have your children leave home. Uh, they're adults now. Do we have children who are walking in the faith and are godly? Not vague professors who, yeah, they're Christians, but you know, no one around them knows they're a Christian because <laughs> they don't live that in any clear way. What we're looking for and what we want in our parenting is to produce up children who are strong in the faith and and uh, and order their lives accordingly. So, I expect my child who's not a Christian. To obey, as long as they live in my home, whether they're two years old or eighteen, I don't care. They're expected to obey the rules and standards of our home. Things that we've already talked about, like you, you you're, you've got a sixteen-year-old who doesn't want to come to church. We don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally, I mean, I care that they don't want to go to church. I care that they're manifesting no love for Christ, but I don't care if they change don't. your expectation. Yeah. I expect them every day to read their Bible. Every day. Um, if I have to sit down with them and read it with them, then that's what I'll do. Um, if that impinges upon my freedoms and my pleasures and leisure activities, tough. I've got children and I'm accountable. So my child will still read the Bible. I will expect my 16-year-old who's in rebellion to pray for dinner. I'll just say, I I want you to give thanks, yeah. and and they're going to be like, I don't want to. I I'm not asking if you want to. Well, I don't want to. Okay, then you don't eat. Yeah, because <laughs> <I mean, laughs> the idea of instructing them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. There's no 
accept clause in that statement with regard to the state of your child's heart. It's right. whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, you raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, which means you still have them reading the scriptures, you still have them praying, you right. still have them going to church. Right. They're not allowed to lie. They're not allowed to disobey without consequences. Um, all of those things are still very much part of the home. So you now have a new a child who's in Christ. Fantastic. Um, do you beat them over the head with that? No. I mean, I don't think that this person, I know them, I don't think that's what they're thinking. But I have watched some parents that, you know, their child makes a profession of faith, and then the thing that comes out of their mouth all the time is, well, you said you were a Christian. Makes me wonder if you're really a Christian. You know, you don't do that to them right, right. unless you are of absolutely perfect yourself. I mean, if, I mean, if I were to look at you as my son and you were making that profession— you, you could easily come back to me and say, well, Dad, do you always honor the Lord? Well, no. Are you a Christian then? I mean, I don't know about this. Maybe you should resign your pastorate and uh, right. and go sell insurance or something. Um, so all you do is you continue what you have been doing. The child is still expected to be reading the Bible, still participating. Uh, but they also get to enjoy some of those things that is a part of the life of the church. Like now they're taking communion and— um, and hopefully what you're seeing is that they begin to grow because the Spirit is within them and they're in the Word, you're going to start to see those kinds of things flourish. So help them think through, as they get older, the complexities and the subtleties of what that Christian faith looks like. But literally, it would look not one bit different than a child who doesn't know Christ. I think if if you leave it there, it's a simple. It's that simple, and parents tend to overthink that. Would yeah, you? No, anything else you'd add? No. Okay. Um, next one is how would when you give physical discipline, how do you discern how hard to spank by age? Uh, and so the question then goes from babies and upward. How hard do you spank a daughter compared to a son? So they're. I, that's actually a good question. I, I think I understand the the mindset behind it. I'll I'll let you answer yours, but I'll I'll say it this way. I always tell people the discipline needs to hurt more than <laughs> the action. So if let's let's say you've got a two year old who you're teaching them the boundaries that we'll talk about today of not touching the remote. That that's just I I, I think you guys use no touch, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what we did. It's That's a no touch. So we would actually go to people's house, and we'd drag our four kids into the there. And sometimes you'd see an older couple, and, and their kids are all gone, and they have their, you know, best crystal out and, and other nice things that people with no children can have around the home. And... And in comes four of our children. And sometimes you would see them have this little worried look. Uh, first thing I would always say to the the couple is, hi, thanks for having us over. Would you do me a favor? Is there anything here that you just prefer the children not play with or touch? And they would look, they usually kind of give me a kind of a weird look, like, are you serious? And I'm like, really? Just tell me. And they're like, well, like that whole wall. <laughs> You know, and you look over, oh, he's got a rare book collection. Oh, okay. And and she's got her little things on the coffee tables and stuff like that. I said, so where do you want them to play? Well, it'd be really great if they could play over here and, and we got toys and this and that. Okay, great. I would literally take all four of my kids and walk them up and say, hey, guys, no touch. 
all of this is no touch. Show me your no, the no touch. Because you got, you know, my son, sure. you know, he's drooling and <laughs> kind of looking vacantly because he's a little boy. And But they all know what no touch is, and they'll point. I said, so that's a no touch, and this is no touch. I said, this is where you're going to play. Do you understand me? And I expect them to actually respond with a yes, sir. I said, so show me where you're going to play. And they, they show me. I said, show me the no touch just to verify they heard me. They show me. I said, okay. And the, what was fun was watching those people. At first, they're like, yeah, that won't work. And then they watch our kids obey. Um, why did they do it? Well, because in the privacy of our home, I think you even used the example of some of that, like putting the phone on the coffee table and and not withholding the opportunity to use as a teaching thing. In other right. words, you, you refuse to baby-proof everything so that – they can't get in trouble. They're, they're going to. They're going to right. do things wrong. And so we would have a co- on the coffee table the remote, and it was a no touch. And if they touch it, then they got a discipline. Now, it might be very simple, but they I don't care how young they were. If they're able to reach it after they've been told no, then they would get discipline. If they keep doing it, then clearly whatever discipline you're giving them is not enough because it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I still want that that thing. And so your discipline needs to be to the whatever degree that it can catch and capture the child's attention. Now, if you've been waiting for 10, 15 years before you ever do anything, your disciplines and your consequences are going to be much difficult, more difficult to enforce um, because they're, they're going to be like, what, what's this? But if their whole life since birth has been that mom and dad have expectations and there's consequences if I don't meet those expectations and they're fairly and faithfully and diligently performed, then they'll quickly get a hold of it. So I, I see people all the time though and they'll come to our house or something maybe and it'll be this gentle tap on the hand. I'm like, mm-hmm. my goodness, I mean, I wouldn't stop me from nothing. <laughs> so that's bad grammar, by by the way. But um, it's really that simple. So yeah. it, it, you know, it, it, your daughter, your son, it doesn't matter. A wholehearted, high-handed rebellion that will occur, uh, and it will occur when they're four years old, where they decide today is the day I'm going to exercise my will and see how far I can push it. Those need to be met quickly and firmly by the parents so that the child quickly learns, wow, that wall came up quick. Um and or when you're tired or when you're sick, all those things, that's when they play the game of testing you. Mm-hmm. And you have to have that um, inner conviction that I got to get up from the couch, even though I want to puke and deal with my child. I have to uh, for the sake of their soul to capture their attention. So that would be how I would yeah. uh, address it. Anything else you well, add? Your, your basic point of it needs to hurt. Yeah. Um, because the underlying principle is that you're teaching you know, that, that there are severe consequences to sin, right? That's called hell. Yeah, um, ultimately, right? Um, so so we start as soon as, I don't know if we've talked about it yet, but just kind of some practical things. We start as soon as they're able to move toward uh, actual food when they're eating. Um, they're no longer just being nursed, but now you're sticking them in a high chair. And yeah, th- yeah. And, and that happens about four or five months, give or take. And... We stick the bowl of mashed whatever that vile <laughs> filth that is that, they, <laughs> that um, makes her diaper sting really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so you just take the little bowl and you stick it on the tray in front of them in the high chair. Well, what is their first instinct as a five month old? It's to reach out and grab that thing. So I stick it on there and I did it with both of ours and I look at them and I point to it and I say, no touch. Well, what's the first thing they do is they reach out and grab it. So then I take their hand and I just give it a little swat and they're like shocked by that. Now I'm not sitting there beating on them. It's just right. We're not drawing to, blood. It's, no. You're getting their attention. Yeah, that's exactly it. And they realize, whoa, this is very different. Never experienced that before. Immediately, what are they going to do again? Reach out and grab the bowl. And then you just do it again. And literally by day two, they already get it. Yeah. They understand when you put it in front of them, they don't just launch onto it. Yeah. That they need permission. Okay, now it's time to eat because you're going to teach them to pray, right? Yeah. So you're going to, I know, I know that for a fact. I see, and, and they, I, do you guys have them put their hands together? Yes. Yeah. So they got to get their hands together. So there's things before the food gets devoured. Yeah. And in those early, that first couple of days when you're doing that, it could be painful to you as a parent because you're like, I don't want to keep doing this. Yeah, and they're so stinking cute. Yeah, about and it. you feel bad for them, and they're <laughs> looking up at you. All what's going on? And they're confused. And but you're right there. You realize, okay, I'm training them at this point. They're realizing whatever I'm doing is not correct, <laughs> and they're getting it. So just keep doing it. Don't lose heart. Right. Um, and in that sense, you got to kind of shut down your own emotions for a couple days to just say, you know what, I'm doing this by faith. And it sounds so silly because it's just no touching, but you're already beginning this lifelong process for them. Well, and the flip side, though, then how often you you hear parents say, oh, it's not that big a deal. You're right. It's not that big a deal. But the mindset behind it is a huge right. deal. And that's the thing is that's why we keep on trying to emphasize work and parent through principles. Right. And so when you do that, you know, I think I, I may not have said it or not, but I know I told you, I've told our church is like you see a child – climbing up on a coffee table and spinning their body, it's cuter than I'll get out to watch. It's hilarious. And of course, you're going on Facebook. Um, however, the question I always tell people is, ask yourself if that activity will still be cute when they're five. And if the answer is no, then stop it now. Yeah. Um, it's not that it's uh, getting on the table and doing breakdancing is bad in itself. It's just not going to be appropriate as they get older. And at some point, you're going to have to make them stop. So have them stop there and learn that the floor is where you play. Furniture is for sitting or putting your coffee cup on or whatever it might be. Because if not, they're going to come over to somebody's house, crawl up on their coffee table. And next thing you know, you've embarrassed yourself and yeah. and you're no longer ever welcome to that house again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just kind of back to the question here, though. Uh, so that's what that's what we do with beginning with the no touch thing. And then that pretty quickly morphs then into um, we're no longer going for the hand. I mean, with no touch, you can. But I think like, like Levi is two and a half. Um, I think for probably a year, we've I've not used my hand to discipline him. Uh, and I think I learned this one from you. Of, yeah. Because... I think you made the statement, which I thought was a great statement of hands are for holding. Yeah. So when they see your hand, they should not view that as pain. They should view that as something that's tender and something that's safe. Yeah. 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 So that's why you quickly move to a, what we call a whacker. <laughs> <laughs> the rod of discipline. Yeah. Um, and, and then that, that's what you use the, how hard or yeah. How hard to spank them. Well, 
honestly, that comes down to what the disobedience is. So we are pretty severe with lying. Um, that's one where there's very little tolerance. And they need to understand that that will receive a, a harder discipline than pushing your brother or something. Yeah. You know? it, but, you know, or, it, or a habitual sin or a willful sin, right? Because they'll, they'll, they'll fail just in life. I mean, yeah. Right? She, she'll push her brother down because she wants that toy and yeah. <laughs> he's not as steady on his feet. So I can get to the toy if I nudge him. Um, that's one thing, but there's that willful high-handed stuff that you, that's yeah, where the exactly. severity rises And, and that, that corporal dis- discipline or the physical discipline, whatever you want to call it, um, the goal is to, for, for me at least, is to finish doing that as soon as possible. So Naomi is going to be turning five here pretty quickly. She still gets it once in a while, but we've already moved quickly into um, – she, she understands her voice now. And so with, with like when we go into people's homes um, – we don't anymore have to say, hey, what do you want them to touch or no touch? Because we've already taught her the goal here is to respect other right. people's stuff, right. not, hey, how much can I get away with? Right. You know? And so things begin to change. And so the physical discipline for her is already lessening. Well, we, we've always taught that if you're faithful, super faithful and consistent, by after five, about 80% of your disciplines are done. Because yeah. they're under control. Now they're hearing your voice. Now they, they, they need direction at that point. Uh, it's, what's sad is when you see the 10-year-old and dad still bellowing and right. threatening, and you're like, you don't have any control over this. And he doesn't, well, we'll talk about here today, uh, he doesn't even hear your voice. Uh, you're just noise. Um, he knows what he wants, and that's what he's going for. But boy, if you do it early, like you said, yeah. It, it saves the world a hurt. It, it, um, is there a difference between disciplining a son and a daughter? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I base that on the disposition of the child. Naomi's such a sensitive person um, that, whereas Levi's just tough as nails. Yeah. That little yeah. boy, you know. <laughs> um, but he's also very sensitive too. But again, it doesn't really come down to the gender as much as it comes down to what was the disobedience. Sure. And yeah. And and people underestimate. I mean, I've had people smack their own leg and say, man, that hurts. And it's like, and yet you give your child four of those smacks and they're right back at the sin. Um, <laughs> and um, the bottom is an incredible little instrument God gave. Um, and it can, what I mean, I guess I'm saying is don't, don't, presume that just because it would hurt you or you would stop that that has made that connection yet with your little one um again you'll know because they're not doing it yeah and you you know your child too I, you can tell when they're coercing those tears sure versus it's a genuine ouch you know so that that's fishing or you got more thoughts on that one? No. Okay. Um, so the next one's kind of a sensitive one. So we want to really word this carefully um, and show a lot of kindness here. Um, this couple uh, were not Christians before they got saved. Um, and the wife, for personal reasons, had never wanted to have children. So, something about her past. And so you know there's stuff, right? Um, and now after having come to Christ, she doesn't want children still. Um, 
and it, it, it weighs on the husband, and he, he does believe it weighs on her as well. So the question is, what's the biblical model for a family? Uh, what does God desire for our marriage as we walk together with Christ? What would be your counsel? So that, that's we really appreciate the willingness to ask this question, and hopefully we can help you. Um, so I'll, I'll say it bluntly first, and then we'll try to clarify how's that um that's sin in in the sense that you willfully say i don't want children but the command is to be fruitful and multiply um a a wife was made to have babies unless god sovereignly prevents correct um and so what if they haven't had children um, yet they're they're saying well we want to kind of strengthen our marriage at this point because maybe they are they weren't Christians and they're learning just how to be husband and wife. Okay, uh, that's one thing. But when you start to get to a point where, though, I don't want them, I don't want, you're operating out of fear or you're, you're, or something other than faith. You're not trusting, well, this is what God has commanded, be fruitful and multiply. He repeats it again after the flood, be fruitful and multiply. Um, Which, that, that's an important thing, by the way, because I have heard the argument that that original command was given pre-fall. Um, but it is reiterated again yeah. in Genesis chapter 9. And and the Christian home is the key core entity that God has established on earth. It's not government. It's the household, the home, and the children, and, and that economy within the household. So I would say, first of all, that um, you both need to come to grips that there this is sinful thinking. And so then what's the next question? It's not, well, when do I feel like I'm comfortable with it? It's repentance means, okay, by faith, I'm going to obey and we're going to seek to have children. If God blesses us with pre- uh, becoming pregnant, then we're going to also continue to establish the things that will make for a good, godly Christian home. When the when the child comes in, instead of saying, "Well, I know what it was, I know what I experienced, I know the horrors or the evils or whatever it was in my past," you just commit yourself as that doesn't matter what was, what is is that me and my husband are Christians and we're going to raise this child in a different way, and and there, that might create some challenges because you have to unlearn fears and unlearn habits and stuff like that, but it doesn't change the glory of what it looks like to be a mother and a father to a child. And so that I think that's where I would start. How, how would you build on that, if at all? I, I mean, I don't know. No, yeah, I think you get, what you said is good. I, it well, does, of course. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it does come down to a, a proper and I think right understanding of what we just call the cultural mandate from Genesis. What is God's design for his creation, which certainly includes the family and marriages and those kinds of things. Um, getting married and having children, I would argue scripturally, is the default design. design. Um, I had heard a preacher on the radio who I like. Um, he was talking about marriage and family and these kinds of things last week sometime. And he was saying how, because he's trying to protect single people or people who can't have children, which I appreciate. So he, but the way he did it, I think, was wrong. He was saying how um, marriage is the gift and children are the gift. The default is singleness or something like that. Which I, it was just backwards. Um, huh. he, though Paul says singleness is the gift, <laughs> which means unique, uh, different from God's intended design, which is marriage and children. 
And so I would say having a right understanding of the creation account is is a good place to begin. Yeah. Um, yeah, going back to how did God design humanity? And it is husband and wife, and then they go make babies. But at, they've come to Christ now, according to the question. And so what's kind of exciting is now you can redeem your past. I like the way you said and, that. That's good. And if you had bad experiences... I, I mean, I understand that. I understand the fear then, therefore, going forward. But now it's like, no, now you're new. You're in Christ. Now you can begin a new uh, tradition or heritage with your, with your family because now you're starting one that's in Christ. Um, and the I, grace that comes with that, yeah. too, um, that God will just give, is I think you'll find to be amazing. I think, I think I'm going to build on that because I think that, that that's an excellent point. Um, We too often, as Christians, say we'll obey when we understand or we'll obey when we're comfortable with it. Um, and, and that's not how God functions. He just simply says obey, and whether you understand it or like it or agree with it is not, not the question. You need to obey. And what, what you find is... You want all of the answers first, right? You, I don't have want children, or I don't want this or that until I have all of these things figured out. Um, and it's like, and you never step into that realm where God's grace then is given to you um, in your weakness and in your needs. God, God grants incredible grace for obedience, and He never will command you to do something and then say, "Psych." <laughs> you know, uh, he's not going to do it. He, he'll honor that. I, I, I even use that with baptism. I've had people who are terrified of being baptized. Not either. I had one person who was terrified because they almost drowned. I'm sympathetic to that. Um, others who are just terrified of talking in front of people. And I tell them always the same thing. I said, "Look, it's the first step of obedience as a Christian. And and what you're this is a good test for you. Do you trust that God?" The God who has saved your soul will also honor you and give you the grace to be baptized. And when I put it that way, they usually, sometimes with great fear and trembling, but they'll, they'll obey. And, and it's funny because I've had people say, I don't even think I can finish my testimony. I'm like, if you can't, I'll finish it for you. I'll read it. But I've never had to, <laughs> right. because they find out that oh, it's not as bad, and the, and the, and they, they might be trembling, but they say their testimony, they're baptized, and they realize that first thing that God showed them so much kindness in that simple act. Parenting is the same thing. You can kind of look at parenting as in its totality, and it can be very daunting. I remember going into seminary and picking up the Greek, my first uh, class for Greek. I pick up my textbook, and I'm like. Oh Lord, <laughs> Hebrew was even worse. You know, you're like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? And it's like, I'll never get this. But then it's step by step, chapter one. You just learn the alphabet and and the declensions and vowel pointings, and you're like, huh? You yeah. know, after three weeks, you're you can see a Greek word. You still have no idea what to do with it, but <laughs> but it's like I'm looking at Greek, and it makes sense. Well, parenting's the same way. You don't start out with an 18 year old. You start out with a little thing that all he wants to do is eat and sleep. Um, and so first you get the joy of just bonding with your child. The next thing you do is now they're starting to exert themselves, but they're simple. I mean, the guy, they're little ones, and and he gives you the grace for each step along the way. Um, but, but, you, but you have to obey 
the commands. And one of them is to simply be fruitful and multiply. So I would exhort them to prayerfully commit their way to the Lord, seek to become pregnant. If the Lord doesn't let them, he doesn't let them. Uh, now that's a whole separate issue. But if he if she becomes pregnant, give thanks. And now they have now they're going to learn how to love each other at, through the pregnancy, then through the birth, etc. But grace will be given. You're right, all the way through that. Yeah. All right. One more. This one is. Uh, this is a sign of our times. <laughs> um, how should you react? If your child wants to change their gender, I'll throw that one on your lap. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, boy, well, I guess first of all, I would say don't overreact um, would be a, a place to start um, because it's going to be more holistic than just a quick conversation, yeah. right? So yeah. there's a whole lot of worldviews and assumptions and presuppositions and desires of the heart and so many different things at play in this kind of thing. And so what I would say is first, as much as possible, don't overreact and then understand you're going to have to respond with some patience and you're going to have to work through that. Now, if, if they're young, I mean, you're the parent and right now all things being equal and assuming certain laws don't come into play, no, you're not, you're not going to transition. You're not going to do these kinds of things, but it's not, it's, you need to do more than just no. Yeah, the, there's a heart issue going on there, not just a gender it's a, fluidity It's a battle issue. for something far deeper than just exactly, yeah. right. Um, so I, I would say, I mean, if, if, you, if your initial response is to just overreact, blow up, think this is crazy, insane, you know, I think you're, you're going to lose them um, at some level. And so don't overreact would be your reaction. Um, but do understand it's, it, it needs to start way before that. I mean, and you're building a worldview, a biblical worldview, and hopefully they understand your position on all these things before they even approach you on it. You know, like this is right. just something new right. that came out of nowhere. No, it shouldn't be. Now, this is the kind where I would almost like us to do like a FaceTime with the person, you know, where we could see them and talk with them. Because I have like a million questions. <laughs> yeah, every situation is going to be unique, right? Right. I mean, right. So you're. It's like, how do you react if your child wants to change their gender? If they're two, I say no. <laughs> um, my bigger question is, how do you even know what gender is? You're four, um, so it would just simply be no. Um, I remember actually. Uh, my little brother, some for Halloween, he found a wig, and he put it on, and everyone started telling him he was a cute girl. He'd make a cute girl, and I'm like, yeah, but he's a boy, and that that's really all you need to do as a young boy. It's just, yeah, but you're not a girl. You're a boy, and, and that's what God made you as a boy. Well, even just given our culture, I mean, 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have done this, but now I we are. Um, we're pretty firm about not letting Levi play with Naomi's dolls. Um, uh, yeah. And, and vice versa. And it, that might sound ridiculous to some people, but it's like, you know what? Given our culture and where things are, we want to draw very clear, Distinct, definitive yeah, lines right yeah, now for yeah. them. That's so a good the, point. Because the, as we've been talking, if you followed our podcast for any length of time, this kind of stuff is subtle. These influences and those shaping forces uh, that are present and everywhere and in your face that you're not thinking about. They're just there. And those have a way of shaping your thoughts on things far more profoundly right. than we even know. So what you just said there would be my next thing is I would 
I would say no. You're not going to, sweetheart. Um, Sorry, that's not how God made you. And I would frame it like that. But I would also then want to figure out where did my child even learn that concept? Um, Because that wouldn't be in my home. Uh, It's not going to be in your home. So where is it if your daughter also decides she thinks she wants to see herself as a male? It's like, where did that come from? And those influences will be immediately removed. I don't care what I have to do. So if, if it's like, well, they go and play at grandma's house and she's been telling them that they should explore their gender, well, then you don't go to grandma's house at all. Uh, right. I'm sorry, that's just done. And so as long, and so that's where I would be, again, is looking at what are the influences and really rethinking what we have been doing in our home, what kind of uh, boundaries, again, and we'll talk about boundaries today. Um, if they're older and you're trying to play catch-up, that's a whole different I mean, that's where I, uh, why I say it would be nice to just talk to this person face-to-face because it's like, are you dealing with a 16-year-old and they've been in public school their whole life and you came to Christ two years ago and now they've come out and said that they are a boy um, or they're pan-gender or whatever is the latest craze? Um, you've got a whole different ball of wax there. I would still say no, um, but with the government, I mean— like that one guy, he if, like if you're in a, a broken home, so you're a single mother and your daughter is wanting to change gender and dad's all for it, um, and, and he has full visitation rights and they share custody, that's a whole different situation. You can appeal and you can, and you can fight um, for that. You can fight even in the courts, um, but you have to understand that you may not you may not be able to win that. You may lose your child. I mean, I, I don't know how to say it nicely, but people are losing custody of their children because they're saying no to these things. You still have to stand for truth, though, right? Absolutely. You, you, you can't back down from that. You have to say no and and then remove those influences to the best that you can and expect a big reaction because of it. I, I mean, the older child is going to just kick and scream they're going to maybe they'll run away and you're going to have to then have the police go find them and bring them back and you're going to have to there's a lot of things that you're going to you're going to be in a fight for your life and you may watch your child walk out of your house and say i'm converting over to a different gender i'm going to do gender reassignment and you're going to have great pangs of guilt and sorrow and hurt and and we can't say that there's a magic fix to it but you can never stand in approval so like on the side, would you, if you had a child that decided to become homosexual and that they then decided they were going to, quote unquote, marry their partner, would you attend that marriage? Absolutely not. Yeah. And you and you don't have to be spitting and fury and calling them names, but with tears, you're going to look at them and say, no, I, ca- I, 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 cannot, I cannot participate as a witness of that because it's evil. Yeah. And um, I'm sorry, but I won't be part of that. And... Those are just some of the things that people are going to be facing more and more. Um, well, like even what I just said about not allowing Levi, my son, to play with my daughter's dolls. Um, that is in some circles right now that are becoming increasingly large uh, abuse because right. I'm not allowing him to express his individuality and freedom as an autonomous individual and these <laughs> kinds of things. 
Um, and those are things that we're seriously going to have to face pretty soon. Um, but right now that I can, I'm drawing these lines as definitively as possible. And hopefully we'll be able to equip them with the tools to be able to reason and think and critique uh, these certain worldviews and ideologies that are going to come flying at them all the more and even harder seems like every month now. I mean, it's just amping up more and more and more. Yeah. And you're seeing all kinds of crazy lawsuits. and Well, and th this gets into, uh, I think, the evils of the social media world that we've grown up, we've now become part of, is that people just share way too much in a public way. I think that parents would be really wise to begin to stop sharing things. Stop posting stuff on Facebook or Parler or Twitter or whatever it is that they might be doing that the, the world does not need to see how their home functions mm -hmm. because you're inviting, you know, you're inviting. I mean, we, we even put ourselves somewhat at a risk doing podcasts here, you know? Um, and so, yeah, the lawsuits, the intrusion of the government and other entities. I mean, just with the Zoom uh, you, you, you heard about some of these students where like they had a toy gun in the background while they were on Zoom with their teacher and they called the police. It's like, it's a toy gun. It's my home. And yet the teacher just felt offended and that that was not a safe place. And it's how they get in your home. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, don't invite them in. They, yeah. They're not welcome past your doorstep. Um, you don't share those things. You don't tell people, this is your home, and you're going to raise up your children. So I, I would advocate most people that they should be withdrawing their children from engaging in the society at large. Instead, they should be within a church context, uh, and the church needs to be a solid church where there's a one-mindedness. Yeah. Um, and it's out of that that you can instruct them rather that that's not going to guarantee everything's going to come to an end, but no, but you give them a chance. Yeah. You give them, you give them a chance to be equipped with certain tools and ways of thinking that they can now analyze things versus being forced to, uh, swallow everything they're being told. So just as much as we argue, you know, Hey, keep your kids out of the public arena, um, meaning schools and these kinds of things keep the public arena out of your house. You know, right. I, I like, we're not, there's no way Naomi's going to be on social media and these kinds of things when she's old enough. Um, she just doesn't need to be in that yet. You know, so I'd rather her be in the church and being inundated with a biblical thinking and biblical worldview so that when she does start to go out and she starts to work when she's 14 and these kinds of things, she's already been equipped with certain ways of thinking though. I'm not a fool to also assume that she'll therefore that will just guarantee a proper outcome. Well, but but yeah, but but by limiting those things, I mean the moment they get a job outside the home, they're going to be immediately immersed in that. And so I'd rather it be at something that they're shocked over and they can come home we can talk rather than exactly. they're already very comfortable with um all of these sorts of things. TV, what you watch on TV, the, the, the access to the, uh, the internet, I, it still amazes me how young children are and they have their smartphones. And it's like, well, that's a, it's the world that we live in. It's like, you don't have to live in that world though. And your child, if they're able to, it's like, I would never allow my children while we're going for a drive to plug in earphones and turn their phone on and listen to, quote unquote, their music. I'm not going to let them check out. They can't. Uh, they can check out by reading a book, 
<laughs> uh, in the backseat. They want to read? You can read. But they're going to hear the conversations, and they're going to be part of that home. Um, what you really have in too many homes today is um, everyone is kind of self-existing in a, the same building, but they all live in their own private worlds. And mom and dad literally don't know what's going on. They don't know who they're texting. Um, or they say, well, yeah, we've got apps so we can see what they're texting. It's like, why do you even need this? Why do you need an app? Just take away the texting ability. They don't need it. Um, and, you know, it's it's re re recognizing that you're in a battle now. We're, we're not in a culture that supports you. Uh, it, in my day, when I was a little boy, if I did something wrong in the grocery store, my mom would discipline me right there. And everyone around her would be nodding with approval. It was like, <laughs> yeah, he was a creep. Um, today, you you don't dare do that. Um, it's a completely different cultural uh, milieu that they uh, are living within, and we have to be very, very wise and cautious about that. So uh, I, I feel for this question. Uh, I sense there's a whole lot there, a lot of heartache and fear, um, but you're, you have to stand firm against those things. Depending on the age, again, you're not going to overreact, you're not going to blow up, but you're going to fight tooth and nail for them. And if they, you ultimately lose the child, you lose the child. Um, there's no nice way to say that. Yeah. All right. Well, you think that's enough? Yeah. Okay. So let's get into then the boundaries and obedience. So one of the things we find with parents is that they are reluctant to create clear boundaries. But our Father in Heaven actually establishes clear boundaries for His children to live and to operate, and it's because of this that we teach parents to also learn to establish clear boundaries within their homes as well. Uh, again, we, we live in a world where everything is questioned and where any sort of authority is now challenged and resisted, but this is not the way of a Christian home. Uh, we have to resist godless ideologies and sinful worldviews, uh, but we live instead under the authority of the Word in our lives. So that is of absolute authority, and all these other authorities are not legitimate op options. Um, so the challenge we find, however, is that the parents today are not very clear on what they ought to do. The culture no longer provides that clear support system I just talked about. Uh, too often, the parent is left on their own to figure out what to do. Uh, sadly, too often churches fail in creating that culture of godliness within the church as well, so the parents really are left to themselves. So what we'll do is we'll just jump right into our subject today of boundaries and obedience. Okay, so we want to just give a few principles here that we operate on with our homes with regard to boundaries. So first of all, we would say make certain that these boundaries are reasonable. If, if they're not, they will only exasperate uh, or anger your child. At the same time, don't let the child decide what those boundaries <laughs> should be. So if they just get mad, that's not going to be the determiner of whether you do or don't do something. So this is seen in various ways with your child, um, and they speak volumes uh, in the way of their heart. So, so pouting, complaining, screaming, threatening, tantrums, uh, or just simple refusal to honor the boundaries that you've established are all revealing their heart. Right. Um, and so that needs to be addressed along with, of course, your expectations. Yeah, don't keep this an external thing. What you're really doing in parenting is seeking to shepherd that heart. 
and guide them toward Christ? And then what does it look like to live as a servant of Christ? Yeah, so those out external reactors are indications of the state of the heart. In right, words. right. Yeah. So obviously, the earlier that you start this, the easier it's going to be for everybody who's involved. But just because they're 10 and you start practicing this um, doesn't make that wrong for your household. Uh, it just means you're going to have to now work harder um, in the beginning. Second, uh, begin to establish boundaries that are biblically based. So these are commands that the Bible teaches. Uh, these are also commands that are still in effect today for, for the church, um, meaning, you know, don't drag some command that was given to Isaac up and stick it in your home. Um, <laughs> King Saul, go and get four, 104 skins of Philistines and bring them to son? <laughs> yeah, that's not right. Right, right. Um, but if, if you just operate primarily with the idea of obeying and respect within your home, then the boundaries that you set will be reasonable, and they're going to be simple to defend or explain to your child. By the way, have you ever thought about David's reaction when Saul told him? Yeah, yeah, you got to go bring a hundred foreskins. <laughs> David leaves. His men say, "So what? What the king say?" He's like, "Well," <laughs> and they're like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> Must have been bored today, huh? Yeah. King wants entertainment. Some other guy who's not aware of this, he walks in on after you fought some Philistine and killed him, and you're hacking off the foreskin. He's like. Dude, <laughs> he's like, King's all wants it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, totally off the subject. Um, all right, third thing. <laughs> You're welcome. Third thing to do is set boundaries that are uh, based upon wisdom and biblical principles. So the first boundary is what you just said, the commands. Um, we don't lie. We don't steal. Uh, but then there's also uh, points of just wisdom and biblical principles. So an example is out of Proverbs 25, 16. Uh, have you found honey? Eat only what you need so that you may not have it in excess and vomit it. And you're like, okay. Well, this is not just about honey. Um, what it's really saying is that too much of anything is bad for you. But it also talks about things like gluttony, that you don't eat to excess, you eat what is necessary and appropriate. So a mom or a dad needs to be able to tell their kid, you've eaten enough. Well, I, I, I still want more. You've had enough and you're done. Um, and that's just the rule. You're not going to be an overeating child. Now, of course, the challenge with that is you as parents have to practice that first, or the only fruit that you're going to produce in your child is hypocrisy, and it will be a horrible fruit uh, in your home. So another example of a principle is that he may not allow you may not allow magazines that are like fashion magazines, Teen Vogue or whatever, to be read. Um, and again, this would simply be due to passages that warn against vanity or excessive concern with appearance or or even immorality. You know, when a child wants to dress in a scanty clothing, well, they didn't just come up with that. Right. There's they're seeing that, and and so. Why would you allow them to view those types of things and watch those kinds of things? Um, how about the type of music that's listened to or whether they faithfully give to the church of any money they receive? Um, I remember talking to one of my elders, and we were dealing with an individual in our church who was not faithfully giving at all. 
And so we actually pulled their giving report, and he was shocked when he saw how little they gave because he said, my teenage son gives more than that from his part-time job. And I said, that's why we're going to talk to these folks because it's not the giving. It's, it's the mindset and the heart behind it that they have not yet learned how to control their finances. Um, so we, we always made our children, if they got birthday money, they always gave at least 10% to the Lord. They could give more, but they could never give less. Um, I don't care if it was $3 that grandma gave them. Um, they're going to give 10% of that to the Lord. They're going to save 80%, and then they can spend 10%. Why were we doing that? It, it was somewhat random, the, the amounts, but what we were really trying to teach them is something that Kim and I were not taught, and that's to save and to handle our money in a wise way. And that created all sorts of problems in our life early on, especially me as the head of the home. Um, but all of this finds basis within the Scripture. So you're just learning to think, through principles of the scripture and say, what's that going to look like in my home? A fourth boundary is to make sure that the boundaries established are clearly defined. Nothing's more frustrating than you give a vague boundary. Right. And then the kid's in trouble. And, and it's like, I still don't really know what I did wrong. And well, well, that tells you that you haven't explained things well to that child. They, they should understand this is the playground that you get to live and operate and anything past this is not allowed. Um, as a small child, that's very restricted, and it gets bigger and larger, obviously, as they get older. But it's still a boundary that they must – so they, they get to drive your car for the first time alone. You know, They also should be informed you're not to test how fast this car can go. <laughs> you're not to test its maneuverability. Um, you're not to test – it's sound system. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, these are not yours to test. We're giving you our car to get to work. That's where we expect you to do it. If you need to go somewhere else, call us first. If you want to break that boundary, that's fine. You'll walk from that day forward, but that's the boundary. So make them established. Then fifth, make only those boundaries that can be enforced. In other words, say what you mean and make sure you mean what you say. Uh, so that requires you to resist those knee-jerk reactions that parents tend to do, uh, to give careful thought to what you say. Um, it's never fair to give thoughtless commands. Um, and if you find that you did do that, then what you really have to do is go back and repent of it to both your spouse and your children. This is something like a father will, he's had a bad day at work, he didn't sleep well, he gets up, he's in a bad mood, he's got a really tough day at work, kids are acting up, and all of a sudden he bellows, they must only eat toast, and, and, and off he goes to work. <laughs> you know, it's like, thanks, honey. <laughs> you know, hopefully, in his drive to work, he's realized that he was being a jerk, and when he comes back home, or he can just simply call his wife and say, babe, I'm sorry, I, I was just angry, no excuse, please forgive me, I should have been more thoughtful, it's fine. Um you know, that kind right, of right. a thing. Yeah, that's good. We'd also say that it's important to note that boundaries are not just going to make problems go away. So don't fall into that type of thinking. Uh, that's very easy to do. Um, we establish a rule or a boundary, and then sometimes we just think our job is finished. Yeah, we'll never speak of it again. Yeah. Um, but there there will always be challenges to those boundaries. Um just as they also exist in your own life and as an adult, right? You're given a boundary or something and you're going to 
challenge that or push it or whatever. That that external problem uh, is coming from a heart problem, which is the point we keep trying to make here. But but they'll help you see areas that need to be improved upon, and they'll help you protect the child and give you a good foundation from which to teach and to guide them in practical applications of Scripture. So you you want to also allow for the natural consequences of your child's actions and behaviors. Um, these can be both positive or negative. So we find that so much parenting today is typically done out of fear. Um, you're afraid of what might influence your child. You're afraid that they'll not turn out the quote right uh, way, you know, whatever that means. <laughs> um, you're afraid that they're going to hate you or they're, they're going to rebel. Uh, you're afraid they will get hurt. And so you do everything in your power to make life safe. Um, even though that's an impossible thing to do. Um, you're afraid to make them feel bad. So you only praise even when it's something that's not praiseworthy. Um, you know, you're just celebrating mediocrity or whatever. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> True. Um, you know, the list can go on, but, but hopefully get the idea. But if you're willing to let them suffer the consequences of their actions and choices, what you're going to build is the basics of wisdom into their hearts. And the way it's phrased here, uh, both positive and negative. Yeah. Uh, let them, let them enjoy the fruit of wisdom. And when they do something right, and they're like, "Hey, <laughs> look at the product of making a good decision, or right decision, or biblical decision." At the same time, if they make a poor one, that hurt, and I don't yeah. want to do that again. Well, I'm thinking they hit teenage years. Uh, we had to face that. You know, now they're at first we would drive them because they were 14 to their first job, and I'd pick them up, and now. Um, they they finally get to drive, and let's say they're not allowed to drive and do anything other than go to work. But then your second child, you'll allow them to do other things with the car, and the first one's screaming, "You never let me do that!" How can I? And it's like, who has the tickets? <laughs> okay, let let's look at your driving record. Oh, that's right, you have three speeding tickets. And you haven't yet learned to control that. So that's why you don't get to, because you haven't learned to control yourself. She has no tickets, and she's always where she's supposed to be. That's why she gets to. So there's that praise, too. You're also even instructing the one who gets the negative consequences. You're seeing, see, there's blessings in obedience, and there's cursing, if you will, and problems and pain and consequences when you're being an idiot. So... Enough. Yeah. So let's give some examples then of consequences. Now, for little ones, it's as simple as a as a quick rebuke and discipline when they go outside the boundaries. So this means you establish boundaries and then basically plan for training days. So this is something my wife would do um, with our children. Our I think we've talked about this before. Our kitchen was deadly. It was very unsafe that we rented. And so, but it was also, the house was carpeted except for the kitchen. And so the boundary for the little ones when they could crawl was they could not come into the kitchen. And so Kim understood as each child entered into the crawling years, and we had our children about 18 months apart. So you always had a little one. And after the first one, you also had then a toddler. And so she knew that the house might not get clean. The dinners might be very basic. Showers might not happen <laughs> because right now we're training. Um, if, if you make getting your makeup on or 
your chores done more important than training your child, then you're going to set yourself up, but have those training days. And so she would actually train the child and bring the child over, show that that's no touch. And then even though she'd be in the kitchen, that child would want to be with her and they would put their hand, the moment the hand or even a finger would touch that uh, linoleum, she would turn around and say, oh, sweetie, that's a no touch. You're not allowed in here. Give them simple discipline, put them away from it and go back about her business. But she was really keeping an eye on the child. And maybe that child would get six, seven disciplines right away because they keep trying to go into the kitchen. But quickly they realize, oh, I can't go past that line. And you've created a training. So give them a quick consequence. That's easy when they're little. Now, older ones are more painful at times, uh, but the need to learn is still very important. So they're the ones who pay for their tickets that they get. They pay for the insurance. They're the one who loses the privilege of their car or their bicycle if they're unfaithful. And, and we mean that this to a high degree. So let's say your son gets a ticket and he's complaining that the cop was un kind to him. Well, there's multiple problems. That police officer didn't pull him because he over because he was bored. Um, and he wouldn't have pulled him over if he wasn't speeding. So first of all, you're going to go pay your ticket. You're going to plead guilty. Second of all, you lost privilege of driving for the next month. Well, how am I going to get to work? You're going to walk. I don't care. I, in my home, at least, I can't speak for anyone else, but in my home, I don't care if there's a snowstorm going on. Well, then you better leave early. I mean, it would be that simple. That's not fair. No, what's not fair, buddy, is that you chose to speed and show yourself unfaithful. And it's not my problem to fix for you. You have to suffer the consequences. So for the next month, you're walking to work. And it just is so life. Um, no matter na how nasty the consequence is, they have to learn to uh, go through it. And they quickly learn that was not worth it. Uh, when you give them the keys back after a month of walking, you say, no more speeding. That makes a lot more sense to them than, well, they sp sped, they had to pay the ticket, but you're still driving them to every place. Yeah. Um, you're not well, teaching the, them the anything. The key there is you were actually willing to let him walk and not yeah. rescue him or uh, her. Not, same uh, thing, you oversleep, so you miss the school bus, even though we wouldn't have our kids on a school bus, but... They miss the school bus. You walk. Yeah. And, well, I'm going to be late. Yes, you are. <laughs> but, but, yeah, and, but the point being, um, you didn't, you know, state the consequence, and then, you know, four days into it, you're like, all right, and yeah. then you retract it, and then you actually have to, as much as it's painful for them, it's painful as a parent to watch yep. your kid to have to do that, but you, by faith, understand, no, it's it's good for them. Yeah. They're, and then, but be willing to be faithful to the consequence that yeah. you've uh, issued out. Yeah. So if they wait for the last minute to do something, then too bad. They don't get to sleep then. Um, and they're still expected to wake up on time and accomplish everything that they have to do the next day. They can't say, well, I, I didn't get to bed until four in the morning. I had to, it's like, that doesn't matter. There's consequences of these things and you have to do them all the time. Um, you don't want to be a parent who's giving sympathy to a child who's suffering the consequences of foolish behavior. You have to matter-of-factly simply tell them, this is how it's going to be, and I'm really sorry that you made that choice, but this is how life works. So, um, I, I, I mean, too many parents are not willing to do it, and then they wonder, why their kids are slow to learn. So if they're of an of age, 
meaning they're now 18 and they're still in the home and they're doing foolish things over and over again, then one of the simplest consequences is to make them move out. I, I don't advocate kicking kids out per se. Um, I would never have told one of my children, you're done, get out. I would have sat them down and looked at them very calmly and said, well, Joe, you've decided that you don't want to do this and this and you want to fight mom and you want to do that. That's fine. You're 18. You're a man. You can, you can do that, but you can't do it in our home. So you have a month to go find a new place to live and I'll be happy to help you find a new place, but you can't live here anymore. And it, it's going to be with sadness and everything else, but firmness. It's okay, you clearly don't want to conform to this home, so we're going to let you go live your life and, and do it, but not under my house. Um, no, you don't get to come back with laundry. <laughs> no, you don't get to accidentally show up always at mealtimes, so you get fed. Um, no, you have your own house now. You go eat there. Um, be very, very slow to defend them, therefore. If they get into trouble with a teacher, an adult, or a boss, uh, the reality is life is unfair, and they need to still learn how to navigate the waters of unfairness. So sometimes maybe a teacher was unduly unfair. Too bad. They're the teacher, and you have to, you're going to have to learn to live with that. You don't, nowadays, if, if a teacher is mad, the parent is coming in and always takes the ch child's side. That's that's a horrible thing you're instructing them in. So there's passages like Proverbs 19.19, a 19, uh, man of great anger will bear the penalty. For if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. Many a parent suffers this, that they're always going back to saying, when's he going to learn? Well, maybe when you learn and you allow the child to endure the consequences. Or Galatians 6-7 that talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. He says, do not be deceived, which means people are deceived by this. Yeah. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Or in 1 Corinthians 9.24, it talks about running the race with the goal of winning a prize. Uh, in other words, in the Christian life, there's no such thing as participation trophy. You have to be found faithful. You may not be the greatest at it, but you're going to be found faithful to finish it. Right. Go all the way. Don't quit. Don't take a shortcut. Just be found faithful. And, and that means they have to learn in their home what those boundaries and consequences all are. So as an aside, boundaries are not puts up simply for your convenience or your peace of mind. As we said earlier, they're to be biblically derived, but also you will need to realize that the child needs to explore and also take risks. And so that, beloved, is going to result in cuts and bruises and even bone breaks at times. That's not bad. It may not be pleasant, but it's not bad. To raise children so insulated against risk is to raise weak men and weak women who cannot take a stand on what is right and good. So that's another topic that we'll explore later. But train your kids to take risks, but be wise about it. And also tell them, if you want to be in MMA, you're going to get some dislocations. Just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's gonna happen <laughs> yeah and we'll talk about that one but yeah especially for sons yeah um as you're raising him to be a man uh so we would also say expect immediate obedience to a command or a directive that you give obedience defined is simply the act and the attitude of responding to another person's authority in a submissive manner so if you have older children then you should be finding yourself giving more 
recommendations and commands. Um, it is the younger child who needs to learn to obey immediately. Um, but then as they grow older, they'll begin to develop these actions as convictions from within their own heart. And then now you can begin to, you know, exert your influence more than authority. Yeah. You're not having, if you have to tell them to eat, comb their hair at 18, there's a bigger problem in your parenting than <laughs> the kid that can't quite get his home uh, care. Uh, what's it called? Hair combed. Yeah. Yeah. Understand also that almost all parents train their child to obey. That, that you're, that's what you're doing yeah. always. The question is whether it's biblical obedience. So an example of this that many children have learned to obey only when the parent is angry. Um, you know, you, you, you'll teach your child that. Uh, others will only obey when the hand of the father gets raised in a threat. Others might only obey when it's determined to be convenient to them. Regardless, all of these children do this only because it was tolerated and taught to them by their parents. So quick principles for biblical obedience. Um, it, should be, it should be done without challenge. Um, so a simple guideline for you is to ask yourself if it's proper to challenge the Lord when he gives the command. Um, obedience does not occur if the child is arguing about the validity of the command or the fairness of that command. The, this challenge can be done one of two ways. It can be either done actively or passively, but both must be aggressively addressed. That is not to say that they can't appeal if they're older. That, and we're actually you know. going to, I think next episode, I'm planning on us talking about the nature of appeals, but a three-year-old right. has very few appeals. <laughs> a 17-year-old may have many appeals, uh, but hopefully even that won't be that often because they know their parents respect them or treat them as a, basically a young adult and stuff. But yeah, there is a place for appeals. My problem with that is too many people rush to that too right, quickly. Right. It's like, first get them to obey, then we can talk about appeals. Yeah. Yeah. With um, Levi, a, a while ago, he was he went through this little s s stage where he just, he is slow to eat his food. And... Boy, he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he still is in some ways. And so we found ourselves saying, Levi, eat your food five, six, seven times. And then for some reason, it just, I got in that habit without meaning to of just, I keep on telling him and telling him and telling him, and then he'll just take a small bite and then just do whatever. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And how did I get here? <laughs> so I said, we're going to just nip this one in the butt. And um, immediately became very, I mean, much more strict on it. Eat your food. And then if I see him taking a bite and then wandering in his thoughts or his mind. Um, I don't even request again. It's just, if we're at home, you know, right, right. it's just, you're going to get a discipline. And then quickly he's learning, I'd better just eat my food, you know, but to sit there and just keep nagging him and asking him and telling him, it's just like, I'm not training him well. Um, I'm training him to basically not have to do what he's supposed to do until I tell him again. Yeah, and you're going to regret that when he's 11 and you say, go mow the lawn for the 12th time, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> 100%, right. Uh, so without challenge. Uh, a second one would be without excuse. So when a child is chosen not to obey, um, do not be ready to accept an excuse. Um, to do so is simply going to train that child always to create an excuse to work around the obedience in some way. So the only standard that you should accept is, again, immediate obedience. A third one would be without delay, uh, I guess just what I talked about. Um, you know, so when they're a little older, they say, just a second, you know, I need to finish the chapter in my book, or, but mom, I'm 
not tired, so I don't want to go to bed, whatever. So watch out for divisionary conversation starters. Uh, this is where they ask why and then lead the conversation away from the simple fact that you told them to clean the room. Yeah, um, somehow all of a sudden you're discussing whales in Antarctica. Yeah, He's like, like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's not clever or funny. Um, yeah, we're laughing, but... <laughs> it's that inner <laughs> sinful lawyer in them, right. right. Um, <laughs> it is a great evil uh, that will cost them much in years to come, so address it early and every single time. Um, fourthly, we would say with precision. They should obey with precision. This simply means that they do what they're told to do in a way that it, they're told and expected. Um, something less than obedience with precision is not obedience. So with young children, you need to show a lot of patience, we'd say, um, while you're teaching them to do what is right um, and to meet the standard by which the right thing is judged. Um, so help them. Um, that's going to be hard if, you know, if you're only doing that with a half a heart, um, but you'd be wise to do it. As they get older, they'll then need to grow in that area. So to mow the lawn should mean that the lawn will look a certain way explain the expectations to them, make sure they're capable of doing it, and then expect them to do it. Um, this may mean the lawnmower needs to come out two or three more times before they're done, <laughs> right? Um, it may mean your Saturday is not going to be as relaxing as you'd like it to be. But that, again, is what a, being a parent is all about. All right. So let me ask, uh, give you then this a sense of disobedience. We may have mentioned it before, but it's important to grasp. We'll give you a sense of how first-time obedience works. First, some quick questions that we want you to think in your mind. What percent of time does God expect you and I to obey Him? 100% or 50? Is obeying a parent the same thing as obeying God? We would say yes. What percent of time should we expect our children to obey us? And I would say the same thing. Uh, every time. So if your child does not obey the first time, you say something, but does obey the second time, what percent of the time is he obeying? So I say, go clean your room. They don't clean it. So then I say, hey, I told you to go clean your room. And now they clean. Have they obeyed? The answer is no. 100% of the time they're in disobedience because they think that it's open for an alternative uh understanding. So my question would be to you, are you obeying God when you give requests over and over again to the child? And the bottom line is no. When you settle for less than proper obedience, it is to be guilty of disobedience yourself as a parent. You're in sin. Your job is to train your child in the way he should go, not in the way he should not go. And so this means that you make sure they hear and they understand you. So teach your child to give some sort of a verbal response of affirmation. Maybe it's you call for them and they say, coming, mommy. Um, very important, uh, simply because it lets you know that they heard you and it puts the child in a situation that he has to choose then to not follow through with his words. When he says coming, he better come. Um, remember also to demand immediate response after they acknowledge you. This is what, I, when I was a little boy, I remember once we were playing at a neighbor's house and I heard my mom call, Matt. And back there, I don't know if they still do it in neighborhoods, but you would just hear your mom yell, Matt, time for dinner. And I just kept on playing because we were having fun. And I heard Matt again a few minutes later, and they said, shouldn't you go? I'm like, no. And I mean, I was a little, cre I had to have been like five. 
And the, the, the kid who told me, he's like, he looked a little worried. I said, no, I don't have to come yet. I heard her call me like two more times. And then finally she said, Matthew, Scott, Henry, get home. And that's when I left because I knew that if I didn't come then, I was going to get discipline. Now, what would have been better is if my mom got me there and then disciplined me because I didn't come immediately the first time. Um, remember, in other words, demand immediate response after they acknowledge you. Then also teach your child to give a verbal response of obedience. So we, we taught our children to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, to us. Um, that may seem trivial. In fact, we got a lot of pushback at, from our church uh, here when we first came. But it's actually based on the idea that the child needs to show respect to the parent. And it also reinforces to the child that they've given their word that they would obey. So as a rule, talk to the child as he stands before you. Uh, I, I argue that you should avoid yelling through the house at your kid to give them instructions. Instead, have them come to you. And if there's several children, teach them all to come, even if they're not certain it was their name called. So if they hear a name, but they're not like, was that me? Then their job should be all to come and find out, oh, it's for Bill. Okay, I'm back to my, my toys. But they should come. And then if you expect your child to listen to your voice, then he will learn to le hear your voice. I think that's something you, you've talked about, how you want your children to hear you and Lydia's voice when you guys give a direction, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'll teach them if you expect that, and they can discern a parent's voice from a whole crowd of people. Teach the child that they're responsible to not go so far away that they're out of your earshot. And this is where that verbal response helps, for you should immediately hear the child respond to your call or command. So you say, Billy, come here. You should hear somewhere. Yes, ma'am, coming, something like that. And you, all right. Um, and if they didn't hear you, then you're going to instruct them. It's your job to be listening for me, and it's your job to not get so far away that you can't hear me. Uh, so we're going to end it here. We said a lot. We hope you find these useful, uh, that you put them into practice and, and begin to see the fruit in you and your children's lives. What we'll deal with next time is the giving of appeals. So make certain to tune in the next time when we drop an episode on parenting. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We want to continue to hear your thoughts on parenting. So drop us a question, a comment. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and tell a friend.